Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Before we get started today, just one piece of housekeeping. For those of you who have yet to notice, I have rebranded everything I do with the various channels, podcasts, blogs, everything, into one personally branded website, jasonpereira.ca. So please take the time to sign up for my newsletter. That will inform you of any TV shows, podcast episodes, or blog postings that will be going up shortly. And now on today's show. Today on the show, I have Philippe Castro, co-founder and CIO of Utrust. Utrust is an online platform that allows people to transact in cryptocurrencies, basically looking to be the stripe of the crypto sphere. And with that, here's my interview with Philippe. Hello, okay, Philippe. Let's go. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. So Philippe Castro, CIO and co-founder of Utrust. Tell us about Utrust. So for those who are not, may not be familiar with us, Utrust is a blockchain-powered crypto-to-bank payment solution. We allow e-commerce merchants to start accepting multiple cryptocurrencies from buyers while receiving in euros, US dollars, or British pounds, which are settled directly in their bank account. Okay, we're going to go through that entire process shortly. So tell me about the origins of Utrust. You know, where did you get started? Why did you guys start this thing up besides the opportunity that is blockchain? Well, uh, that's quite a story, actually. So... We incorporated in Switzerland, in Zug, in late 2017. But actually, me and my co-founders, we actually met way back in 2010. We actually met online for the first time. That was early days of Bitcoin, for those who might be familiar. Most of the talk was like in forums, uh, Bitcoin talk and other similar forums. And we actually, at the time, didn't know each other face-to-face. We know each other from allies, but we only... We're on the same forums. We trade a lot of information. We're kind of in the same community. After a, a lot of years, I actually went to a, a blockchain meetup. And I met this interesting guy who was talking about this whole blockchain thing. This is, this is the future. This is the future of payments. This is the future for a lot of industries going forward. And there's this need in the market. I use a lot of payment solutions. And I actually got scanned by one. I didn't get my goods. We should build something better as a payment solution. There's this need in the market. Let's do it. This is the right moment. We went for a beer. And after that, I actually discovered that we knew each other from way before. That was the person I've been talking all of those years (laughs) in the same forum. So that's the whole concept of Utrust that's solving existing problem and something that we actually suffer ourselves. And we said, there's must be a better way. And then we set forth to build Utrust, to set the company, to go to the first fundraise, and to grow the team and develop the product until where we are right now in the beginning of 2020. Excellent. Okay. So let's talk about, um, first of all, I always love there must be a better way because that's almost every company gets started in this space. <laughs> so let's talk first and foremost about what it, the experience of utilizing your app is first from the front end. So I am someone who wants to purchase something from one of your vendors and wants to use some sort of cryptocurrency. Tell me what that looks like from both the purchaser and the vendor's viewpoint. Absolutely. Let's go over the merchant first. After all, we are at our core payment solution. So looking at the merchant's perspective first, when you have your checkout, when you have all your different payment solutions right now, what we provide is a complementary cryptocurrency payment solution at checkout time that allows you as a merchant to accept a whole new range of buyers in your existing website that want to pay natively with crypto assets, with cryptocurrencies, but you as a merchant, you don't have to deal with that complexity. 
You don't want to integrate multiple chains. You don't want to deal with the accounting, with the regulatory hurdles. You just want, as a merchant, something that works, just a different option, and everything in the background plugs in automatically to your system on the back end, and you just get your US dollars, your euros, as you were in other payment systems. Now, from the other perspective, as a user, it's actually quite simple. At the checkout process, you go to the typical checkout, let's say you're going to buy an iPad or you're going to buy an iPhone or Huawei phone, whatever uh, you are uh, shopping at the moment. Typical checkout process, you go enter your shipping details, your address, your name, everything as it was. And then on selecting payment solution, you select Utrust. Selecting Utrust will actually redirect you to a page where you can set which cryptocurrency you want to pay with. Selecting that cryptocurrency will actually pop a QR code on the page itself, showing you what you have to do. Scan that QR code with your own wallet, paying with the crypto assets you already have. It's your wallet. You can choose any wallet that you already have, or you can use the Utrust wallet, but it's very open-ended. And you just scan the QR code. That's kind of magic experience we're looking for. Of course, you can always copy-paste that address and do it manually, but we really want that magical experience, just scan something and confirm, and it's done. So that's how we envision and we wanted the experience to be like for the user and for the merchant. So for lack of a better term, you're almost trying to be the stripe of crypto online transactions. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Nailed it. Perfect. Okay. So... First off, there must have been a number of challenges, <laughs> both technical and human, in dealing with this. So let's, let's talk about the human aspects of this. So you have a number of companies you're dealing with. How many clients do you currently have as vendors right now? So right now, we have uh, 10 vendors that are using the Utrust Solution Live. That's because we had to pre-select. Uh, we actually had thousands of merchants trying joining in hmm. on the Utrust ecosystem because it, it was a long time since the inception, development of the product until actually going live. So we had a lot of pre-registered merchants, but we had to select and filter down the first ones to enroll. Those are based on metrics such as uh, processing volume, the type of customer they already use, the vertical. And we selected those 10. And oh, by the way, we are, we are adding more every month because we want to optimize our product. After all, we only launched nearly six months ago. And for us, the priority right now is not so much as to scale big on the next one month or two, but to get the necessary metrics to be able to scale big in three to six months. So it's taking those early metrics to actually optimize the experience and grow even faster. So that's our core focus with our first merchants. We could have 50,000 merchants if we wanted, but the way to do it right is actually to do it slowly and then scale up really fast. Yeah, with something like payments, the last thing you want is to break. Um, you know, this is something yeah. like electricity or water. When it's, it better be there when you want it. Otherwise, people just go lose faith very quickly. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly, so you had, you had that much interest. So that's interesting. So before you launched this product, how did you go about getting that much interest from different vendors? Well, that's uh, quite an inter interesting one because most of the vendors, uh, most of the merchants uh, that uh, wanted to, to try out the platform and they're still unrolling to, to try it out, they come to us because there's this niche, there's this need in the market for a solution. So they're all sales. Because there's, let's be frank, we do have competitors, okay? We are not the only game in town in terms of solution, but we believe that we are the best at what we do. And we have 
a lot of merchants, a lot of driving interest in this specific subsegment of payments. Not because it has a big overall volume compared to other current payment methods, but because of all the buzz and everything that this technology will bring to the merchant themselves. No chargeback, less fraud. The costs in, in less fraud, no chargebacks alone are in the billions. Getting more margin per article if the users pay with cryptocurrency, that's actually a big one for merchants. So there's a lot of driving interest from the merchants themselves to use a solution such as this. Plus, it's free to integrate. So there's no monthly subscription cost. There's very little in terms of the barrier to the technology adoption. So it's something that you as a business, as a merchant, can integrate basically for free and get additional revenue. So, so I mean, it, essentially what you're saying is that the inefficiencies of the current payment system, as we know, chargebacks, fraud, all that other sort of stuff, is leading to people saying, hey, okay, we recognize the fact that we don't have to deal with this nonsense on the blockchain because of the, the sheer, sheer dynamics of trust in it. And that's driving their, their interest. Now, you made an interesting statement about you're the best at it. And I'm going to ask you to justify that. What makes you the best at processing these types of transactions for these types of vendors? Well, I would say that in terms of interface, in terms of perceived brand, in terms of community support, in terms of the whole ecosystem, the being seamless, not only from one part, but to everyone from the user to the merchant. I think we are pretty much unbeatable at that tightness in the ecosystem, at the brand power and at the community support, which is very crucial for a blockchain powered solution like this. Good, so basically experience is pretty straightforward. People are basically going online, wanting to purchase this, more or less seamless experience, kind of like what they're used to, except with not without using a credit card. Vendors are basically happy because they're not dealing with all the <laughs> all the all the stuff that goes along with traditional credit card vending or tra- processing. What kind of fees are they paying on this in terms of transactions? Like, how do you compare in terms of cost versus a credit card vendor? It's actually quite competitive for and attractive for merchants. We're talking about one percent. Wow. So that means we only charge one percent versus. Uh, the traditional payers that can be as high as 3 or 4%. If you account for FX, so foreign exchange, converting one currency to another, for example, if someone is paying in US dollars and you're a reseller in the Eurozone receiving euros, then it can be even higher to 6, 6.5%. So it can add up to a lot. If you're a merchant selling high value goods, then even more. So it's a very attractive proposition. Interesting. I mean, yeah, you're even, again, I quoted Stripe earlier and their base price is 2.75%. You're doing this at one. So let's talk about the what happens in the background with the currency. So you're taking, at the end of the day, someone's buying this with, say, Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever it is, and with Ether, and then they're turning around, uh, the vendor's turning around and receiving currency at a set rate. So they know what they're selling for. The price is listed in 50 US, as 50 US dollars, then, you know, the that's converted over and the person who's buying knows what they're going to be giving up in crypto. What's happening on the back end for you to manage that kind of risk exposure? Because I mean, essentially, are you instantaneously trading that crypto for hard currency or what are you doing? Yes, it's it's pretty much close to instantaneous. So we always want to protect the merchants just to make sure that whatever the quoted price, as you say, that they put in fiat currency in their system, they're going to get that minus 1%, always mm-hmm. guaranteed. And you as, as the user, obviously, we want to protect you as well. We want to make sure that you pay the right amount, it's fast, and it's as seamless as possible. What we do is we try to convert just in time, as soon as we can, 
to manage that risk, to arbitrage that risk, so that we take part of the risk, but we protect our merchant counterpart. In essence, we try to convert as soon as possible to guarantee that set rate. Interesting. So are you guys basically a exchange or are you partnered with an exchange? How is, who's facilitating this? Yes. So we are not an exchange ourselves, but we partner uh, with exchange or liquidity providers to provide this kind of instant feedback to the users. As you know, price varies in different exchanges, and we actually use that to provide an optimal rate to the user. And that's actually one uh, one of the key elements of, of this, because there's no universal set price of any cryptocurrency. There's small arbitrage differences, and mm-hmm. we can actually take that into account and provide something that is more stable on a very short time frame to make sure both parties are satisfied. Interesting. And I also see that you've done various integrations with different wallets. You want to speak about how that works? Actually, we support any wallet that is capable of scanning a a QR code at checkout Mm -hmm. time. And even if you want to use your paper wallet, actually, we have a manual option at at the checkout process. Instead of the QR code, you can just copy the address and the amount. So even if you want to I'm curious, how many people manually type that in? Uh, well, I'm not sure. I don't have the, the statistics right here. I, I could get them, but it's not a lot. Most people now, they just prefer to scan the QR code. It's, it's more practical. Most wallets support the scanning feature. So it just makes more sense. Absolutely. So let's talk about the different types of vendors you basically already partnered with the first 10. I mean, you some of these are, it looks like you have a mix of reasonably sized to very large vendors. I mean, you know, one of the ones that caught my eye just happens to be my, my grandfather's favorite soccer team. So my FICA, <laughs> Portuguese descent, what can I say? So the second I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, I should talk to this guy. <laughs> if nothing, if nothing, I'm to amuse myself. So tell me about the different vendors you chose. It seems like you have a diversity of industry as well as I'm guessing a diversity of scale. What was the thinking behind that? Was it just trying to yeah. prove the concept amongst the many industries as you could in the first go? You're actually right. There's a lot of diversity that's tied into the reason I, I mentioned before. The first bunch is that we wanted to onboard for Utrust. We're trying to get metrics to perfect the system to have mass deployment and massive growth. And the best way to get different accurate metrics is actually to integrate with different types of businesses that have different users, different patterns of usage, sell different types of goods, have different frequencies. So having this diversity actually help us to get more accurate metrics for next stage of growth. Bayfico is actually our first merchant. They have a huge community of fans and it's it was a pleasure to actually have them our first merchant. And now you can go to their online store, buy season tickets, season passes, merchandise, jerseys with cryptocurrency. Another one, for example, Phone House, they sell phones and electronics across Europe. So it's a, a different segment, of course. It's not in the same league as Benfica. It's a different segment selling mm-hmm. electronics, but it's a completely different pattern in terms of usage, in terms of preferences at checkout. It gives us a, a totally different set of metrics. Again, Alternative Airlines, which was actually uh, one of our latest ones, That's travel buying tickets, airfares online. Again, totally different metrics, totally different type of user. It's very, very diverse. And that's for a reason to basically get 
good data points so we can scale even faster. Excellent. So like any good uh, crypto play, you basically raised money the, the traditional crypto way, which was through an ICO. <laughs> you want to tell me about that process? Yeah. Uh, well, we started as, uh, with an ICO because at the time, it was closely aligned with, with what you're building in terms of blockchain technology. As you know, we have our own token, UTK, which also plays a role in the ecosystem. In our payment gateway, the user can pay with multiple cryptocurrencies, including UTK with specific benefits. But at the time of the, the fundraise, we decided that this was intrinsically a project driven by a need, a need of the community, a need of users, because we were part of that community. We were those users that were seeing a problem that needed a solution in the industry. And at the time, an ICO seems like one of the best ways to kickstart this project forward. Was it difficult? Yes. I would say it was extremely difficult. We did manage to raise successfully, but it was difficult process as it is in any fundraise, traditional or, or mm. not. We managed to fundraise uh, with it in Switzerland. We were one of the first actually regulated ICOs or as closely as it could be at the time because there were no issued guidelines when we actually did it. The guidelines were only issued in the later months. But I'm proud to say that we are one of the most compliant out there doing full KYC for every single participant and you know, working our best to be proactively compliant with everything that was required at the time. And I would say that's a fantastic ecosystem, still is. And I think it was the right choice to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, your timing was right. I mean, looking at your chart, it looks like you were doing it during the ICO craze. So that, that probably helped you a little bit too. I mean, you can't turn someone, as people are willing to, uh, to basically well, uh, believe at that I, point. I would say yes, but yeah. I, you know, I, we've seen, unfortunately, a lot of projects uh, that also raised during the ICO craze, based in Switzerland, based in other geographies that didn't succeed, unfortunately. And mm -hmm. I think it's a uh, it showcases that this this market is not that different. ICO market was not that different from a traditional fundraise in venture capital. Most startups end up in failure. That's expected, actually. And I don't think this ecosystem is that much different. It's natural no. that many projects will end up in failure, but you have to persevere and you need to try. Yeah, and I don't think many people took that into account when they basically thought about there was a really a land uh, you know, a gold rush land grab uh, from a lot of people's standpoints, and you know. Again, these are highly speculative plays, just like any other startup, but many of them. It's, it's interesting. I saw a study uh, from a professor who studied the ICO pricing, ICO pricing and ICOs in general, and he found something like the, I believe it was, the average rate of return on an ICO was positive. However, the average ICO was bankrupt. Yeah. So like more than, so like it's something like greater than 70% probability that the ICO was not going to survive a 18-month period. However, the ones that did were orders of magnitude more successful than anything else, which made up for it, which is typical venture capital type returns yeah. type stuff, right? So yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's all fine and good for us to talk about stuff like that, but the average consumer is just not, not ready for that kind of deviation and risk. Yeah, you know, the, there's a correlation between risk and reward. And, you know, that's, as you said, rightly so, it's, it's part of the associated risk. Exactly. So let's go back to the product for a couple minutes here. A couple follow-up questions. So first question is, what do the settlement times look like when I, from the second I hit buy and I've approved the transaction? How long does it take to process everything? For the user itself or for the merchant? Uh, well, for which, both. Let's talk about both. Yeah. So for the user, you actually get an immediate feedback that 
you have sent your payment, depending on the wallet that you're using. Again, this is very dependent on the protocol as well. On the merchant, what you see in your merchant dashboard, you will see incoming payment not yet confirmed. Again, this is depending on the specific protocol or the speed of that protocol. Uh, if it's Bitcoin, high congestion might be longer. If it's something a bit faster, it will be faster, but it's always depending on the protocol itself. As a merchant, of course, you can see if it's pending or not, but looking from the merchant's perspective, it doesn't really matter if, it's, if it takes a few minutes or a few hours because we're talking about the shipment of, of a product. It's not time sensitive for the merchant, so they can afford to just wait a bit more for the confirmation. It's not something that is business critical for them. Yeah, and, and that's you guarantee, why we, the, you guarantee the rate anyway, so you've de, yeah. you de-risked them altogether. Exactly. So that's why we focus a lot on online merchants, not you know the point of sale scenario. Why do you need it? That's instant feedback for the user and the merchant. We think that solution will come in the future, but it's not yet from a base blockchain point of view. We're not there yet, or the, the use case is not as mature. But in online, that's what we provide for the merchant. For the user, again, depending on your wallet, on your wallet, you can see, you can, at the moment you pay, you scan that QR code and you confirm, depending on the wallet you use, you will see that you have sent your payment and you will receive a confirmation in, over email uh, that, okay, you have pay, we're processing your payment. And if something goes wrong in the next few minutes, we'll get in touch. This is it with most wallets. If it's with the Utrust wallets, we have well, you control the currency. Then it's yeah. should be a lot yeah. faster. <laughs> it's instant. So in any protocol that we support, the Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dash, others, you get that instant feedback and feeling. So both for the user and the merchant. Excellent. So tell me, what kind of processing volume are you guys seeing at this point? I'm sure you guys are trying to ratchet this up slowly so you don't break anything along the way. But uh, you know, what kind of you know what's been kind of the peak and the average in terms of uh, currency processed. Well, since the last six months, we have an overwhelming number of merchants and users uh, trying out the platform. Unfortunately, I cannot quote anything in terms of TPV. We usually reserve that for you know, partnerships or something that requires an NDA. Then we can absolutely divulge. The, the you can't blame uh, me for trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. But I can say that absolutely we're experiencing tremendous growth. So it's not a matter of growing slowly, but trying to optimize the first batch of merchants to have an even greater experience and grow faster next. So we're just not trying to actively put a break into things, but we want to really focus on the experience and make sure that the next batch of merchants, the, the next ones to onboard will be quicker, faster, and basically more seamless. Excellent. So are you worried at all about traditional payment processors getting into the space? Or, I mean, frankly, I think part of, <laughs> frankly, the fact that you're charging 1% in a lot of ways creates an innovator's dilemma for them, right? Like they're used to bigger, fatter margins. I mean, they're more used to fraud and all this other stuff too that they got to pay out on. But for, I think like a Stripe or anyone else charging 2.75%, turning around and offering a payment alternative that is, you know, almost a third of that cost is something that's going to make them stop and think. So do you feel like, you need to watch out or you're concerned about those types of players getting into the space? Or do you think that just your positioning already, both in terms of pricing and, and uh, this being an evolving market, gives you some semblance of protection? Well, we are always looking at new entrants and competitors. That is for sure. As a, as a startup, and we still consider ourselves a startup, we cannot afford not to, you know, to drop our guard on that regard. As for yeah, established players... 
Yeah. Of course, for established players, most of them haven't entered the, the space for a reason. They have a great business model. They have a business model that works. They have scale. So there's really at this point, very little incentive to change that. Again, what we are seeing right now is kind of the foundations of a new system. And we're still in the build-up phase in many cases of those pipelines this new system. You see it with projects such as Libra. You see governments now talking about digital currencies, about issuing their own digital currencies. And that, that is disruptive. This is highly, highly disruptive because those initiatives, which are auction-based or they're trying to take away the number of intermediaries in that financial system, of course, slowly, but that's what they're aiming for. And that is very highly disruptive. Obviously, I think Big companies, the, the leading players are interested. They are actively looking at this space and they are actively looking at the right moment to participate with their own initiatives, maybe partner with other players, with startups. I think it will happen. It's just a, a matter of when and not if. At the end of the day, what ends up happening in most established companies, look at Google, for example, when a new startup develops a kick ass product, you know, they they enjoy success, but they don't have scale yet. They see it early on as high potential. And they say, hmm, you know what? We're very interested in the technology you are developing. Let's partner with you guys or work with us on this. Because yeah. at the end of the day, for those companies, it's much better to take something that's it's been organically designed than to develop the resources in-house to design that from the ground up. You don't have the same, same spirit. You don't have the same drive. And that happens all over again in developed companies. Yeah, and I mean, there's a couple of angles there. I mean, first off, when a large company announces something like this, and I'm going to pick on Facebook and Libra because there's no company I trust less than Facebook in this world. The reality is, is that look at the blowback they got. And, you know, one of the best quotes I heard about Libra was, you know what, this is a great idea if anyone other than Facebook had brought it forward, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, if, if Apple had come forward with this with a consortium of all these vendors, I'd been like, wow, Apple's changing the game, right? But because the masters of not giving a crap about your personal life and exploiting it basically came out with it, it was toxic, right? So I don't know. I think I think Libra might be DOA. I'm not really sure, but I think it's going to face a lot of, in a world where trust is what matters, which is what the current, which was every currency, I think that they're, they, they've built a lot of bad, bad reputation credit well, there they're going to suffer from. I, 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 I don't know. I, I actually think they, they will launch uh, successfully. That's my entirely personal opinion. I think they have a, a great team. They have great engineering well, The technology sound. The technology yeah? sound. Yes. I mean, I've heard great reviews about it, but it yeah. comes down to, it's going to come down to user adoption. And I, mm. I don't know, right? Especially like, do you want, can you imagine that you adopt Libra, which also, by the way, makes Facebook your central bank, which <laughs> want that either. You adopt Libra and then there's another Facebook scandal regarding lack of protection of consumer data and just like blatant, not malfeasance, but, you know, laziness and some of the sloppiness we've seen from them in the past regarding our privacy, right? Can you imagine that? And then you're, you're a vendor associated with something that's associated with, with Facebook. It doesn't look good on you necessarily. I think that if anything, there's a decent probability of basically, um, smaller plays like yourselves organically coming up and then yeah a larger play like a google or whatever or or apple saying you know what this is how we're going to do it we're going to adopt we're going to basically do an acquisition to then you know throw, throw fire on this gas on this fire and move forward because i think they don't you guys don't have the reputational risk issues that a larger company has when they when they try to adopt something like this yeah yeah you're absolutely right yeah you're absolutely right so before we wrap up there's three questions i ask everybody just to make you think and get some insight 
The first one is if you had one wish for something you can change in the industry, what would it be or your company for that matter? Uh, well, uh, looking at the blockchain industry, one of my uh, dearest wishes is to for all the communities to actually get along better. <laughs> you know, I think there's a, a lot of unnecessary infighting between different communities, different protocols. Everyone's trying to prove their protocol or their currency or their favorite project is the best. But guys, there's space for all of us. There will be different use cases that will require different approaches and they will coexist. So I personally think there needs to be less anger and hate in the community, more cooperation across community. We don't need to hate each other, guys. We can well, I mean, all... It's hard to bring together that many anarchists and libertarians without, uh, <laughs> without radical... Oh, no, 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 no. It's not all. I think there's a perception, maybe in some communities, but I don't think that represents the overall community. I think no, most no, no. communities... It's enough, it's enough to create tension, that's for sure. Well, there's, there's bad actors everywhere. And I yeah. think it's our duty as members of those communities to actually cooperate and don't disregard those more toxic elements. And of course, there needs to be, you know, some dissonant voices as well to balance things out. But guys, we don't need to hate each other. We can all work together. And all get along. All right, cool. Yeah. So let's see. Next question is, what's been the biggest challenge in getting to where you are today? Oh, uh, I would say growing our team. Uh, has been the, the greatest challenge, as in any startup. So forming a culture uh, around your startup, around your venture, is one of the most difficult problems for every entrepreneur. Sure, you know, with money, with resources, you can develop, you can hire people, but having people stay with you and join you because they love what you're doing, they love your mission, and they would work for you almost for free during the first stages, that's something money cannot buy. And that's the most difficult thing to nail down, your culture, your objectives, and what unites your whole team together, from development to marketing to finance and the one vision. People is often, the response of people being the biggest challenge is often the most common uh, response I get. And lastly, what is it that gets you up in the morning and excites you to keep doing what it is you're doing and, and, and press on? Well, continue to grow your trust. We believe this is something that it's absolutely great for the markets. We want to be part of the future of payments. We want to really change the way things are done to empower consumers and buyers, consumers and merchants to use something better, better solution, a future forward solution. And it's inspiring. Every time I look at payments in different parts of the world, I always recall to the moment when I lived in, in China for a few years. And the fact that I didn't have a wallet, I didn't carry a wallet, I didn't carry cards, <laughs> I only carry my phone. Oh, phone. And everywhere you go, you just scan a QR code and you pay. And yep. I want that future of payments that seamless experience. I want it to be like that for me, for my generation, for the next generation, all around the world, be it online or offline. And that's what drives me to continue to trust together with my co-founder. As someone who rolls their eyes and gets annoyed every time someone tells me that there's no tap to pay. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, the sooner I can ditch my wallet, the happier I'll be. And for those who say, oh, what happens if your phone is dead? Well, I got my watch. <laughs> right? like I got, I've got a backup plan. So um, in general, I agree with you. And I, uh, I would very much like to see a uh, walletless future, which means we need to get on digital identification as well. So, Philippe, thank you very much for your time. This has been great. I'm sure everyone will appreciate this. They can check you out at uh, utrust.com. And uh, once again, thank you for taking the time. My pleasure, Jason. See you guys.
So I hope you found the interview with Philippe interesting and informative and that you take the time to check out Utrust. And who knows, maybe in a very short period of time, you too will be transacting online in crypto. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.